want to mention uh, one, more, one more person, and I uh, didn't realize uh, that he was here. I intended to mention him, but uh, that is, <clears throat> we have a wonderful person who is uh, the owner of the building, has been great to work with, has been so gracious to us and giving, and that's Mr. Florentine Toma, who's seated here. Would you say thank you to him? Uh, has really, really been gracious to us, and, and I am grateful for that. Well, here we're settling into our new home here, and there, there really is something about going home. Right? No, matter, no matter how much you like to travel or how much you like to see new places or like to go away, and some of us like to go, and that's a great thing, but it's also nice to come home. Right? Your bed your couch, your carpet, your familiar surroundings. It's just not your pets, if you have pets. Like, this is our home. This is our routine. This is our place. There's something nice about coming home. It's, it, it's, it's homey, right? You know, the, the stuff in the refrigerator is the stuff that you like. Uh, you put it in there. You don't have to ask somebody if you can go get something out of the pantry and eat it. You just go get it, right? You can eat a whole bag of chips wherever your wife says you can eat it, right? You, it's that sort of, ah, I'm home. You know how the TV remote works, right? Maybe. Maybe you know how the TV remote works. You like the colors because you picked them out. And even if you're tired of them, you picked them out. And it's your home. You can change it if you want. You could, you could get totally new color if you want with some paint. Like homes... Most of them have kind of a quirkiness to them somewhere. Like there's a corner that you're not really sure what to do with, or it, it's awkward, and so you don't know how to hang anything or paint anything. You're not sure. There's a room that it's, it's not obvious where the TV should go or how the furniture should be, or it was supposed to be a bedroom and you needed it to be an office, or it was supposed to be an office and you stuck a kid in there and made a bedroom out of it. Homes usually have kind of a little oddity about it. Homes have a, 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 most homes, they have a smell. You know what I'm talking about? Now, you don't smell your home smell because you smell it all the time, right? And your nose doesn't pick up. But when you go to somebody else's house, you ever do that? You go, oh, they have that smell, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you don't know that when people come to your house, they do the same thing. Oh, right? So some of you are making a note, get air fresheners <laughs> on the way home. Yeah, that's, that's home. Uh, anybody, when you were a kid, threatened to run away from home? Like, you ever have that moment, you know, you were four, and you're, I'm running away, I don't want to be on restriction. And now, if you're in my generation, like, if you grew up in my generation, your parents said, well, let me help you pack. <laughs> I don't want you to forget your underwear. Let's, let, me, let me help you out. <laughs> I, like, our, our parents, my generation, our parents, they weren't overly concerned when we threatened to run away. Like some of them wanted us to run away. Like, would you, just give me two days. Just find somewhere to sleep. Je- Jesus told a story about a runaway one time. As a matter of fact, it's, it's one of his most famous stories. If you don't know it, don't worry about it. You'll know it by the end of the, end of the day. Um, but he tells this story about a guy who decides to up and leave. Like, I'm done, Dad. I'm running away. I, I don't want to live under your roof anymore. I don't want to obey your rules anymore. I'm done. I'm leaving. It's in Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, Luke's over close to the end, about two-thirds of the way through. It's in the New Testament. That's the second part of the Bible. 
which starts Matthew, Mark, and then Luke is the third book of the New Testament. It'll be on the screens. It's on version if you're following along that way. Interesting chapter. Uh, uh, Jesus' teaching, this, this one set of teaching spans the whole chapter of Luke 15. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I want to set it up because there was a particular audience there that day that Jesus was speaking to. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. So that's one group, tax collectors and sinners, verse 2. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with him. So we got two groups. We have tax collectors and sinners. We have Pharisees and teachers of the law. Let me give you a definition for these two groups. This is not in the Bible. It's not like the Greek word says. This is just my definition to help us understand who we're talking about. The tax collectors and the sinners were the people who had messed up and they knew they'd messed up. Like there was no denying. Not only did they know they'd messed up, everybody knew that group had messed up. If you were a tax collector, You worked for an occupying government, the Roman government, to take take, uh, money from your people, sometimes exorbitant money, sometimes way more money than they were due. If you were a tax collector, you were sort of like a traitor, and and nobody liked you. And if you were a sinner, then you were, well, a sinner, right? And, And everybody knew that you had messed up, and you knew it, and you lived with it, and you had this this bit of shame and this bit of embarrassment about you. And Jesus says that group was there that day. The people who messed up and the people and knew that they had messed up. And then there was this other group that was there, the Pharisees and the tax collectors. This was the group that was messed up because they couldn't admit that they'd messed up. They wanted everybody to believe they'd never messed up. These were the The people who tried to keep all the rules and be really moral, they were really religious in the sense that they wanted you to think they were perfect, they had never done anything wrong, which does something to your heart, right? When you're trying to convince everybody that you've never messed up, like you're the one person in the whole world who's never, ever messed up, Jesus said that group was there. Pretty much every time Jesus taught, these two groups were there. Like people who knew I've blown it really badly and there's probably no hope for me. And this other group that thought, well, I'm better than everybody else because I haven't blown it, or at least nobody knows how badly I blown it. They were, they were always there. And we don't know what the breakdown was. Was it 50-50? Was it 70-30? We, we don't know. We don't know if there was another group there. Jesus just says these two groups, they were there, and they were almost always there when Jesus taught. As a matter of fact, they're here this morning. I mean, if we divided ourselves into two groups, that's what we would get. We would get a group of people who know that they've messed up sometimes and they're not proud of it and they're a little embarrassed about some of their past and some of their choices and some of their decisions and they would like for people not to know about it but they've at least admitted it to themselves and then there's probably a group here because there's always a group that wants everybody to think they're perfect and that in some ways they think even themselves I'm perfect I got this thing down I don't mess up And what they don't realize is they're messed up because they don't know they're messed up. And to these two groups of people, Jesus tells three stories. The first two stories are really fast. Both stories combined are seven verses. There's not a lot of detail. I'll just kind of skim through those. Those are two stories about lost things. It's about a guy that loses a sheep. 
And it's about a woman that loses a coin. Lost things. And the thing about losing things is there's rarely an emotional attachment to things. Like when you lose a thing, you just replace a thing, right? Sheep is a thing, right? Sorry if you're an animal lover. Me too. I'm an animal lover. We got two man dogs at the house. We love our animals. But sheep, 2,000 years ago, sheep were commodities, right? They were things. He loses a thing. He goes out and finds it and brings it back. Woman loses a coin, finds it, brings it back. And if you had been in the audience that day, you probably would have thought, cool story, bro. Like, maybe it would have worked out that way. Maybe that's what they would have done. I don't know. It's one sheep. It's one coin. Maybe they would have done that. That's interesting. But there's no real emotional attachment to the stories until Jesus gets to story number three. Luke 15, verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. Not sheep, not coins, not things. Family, a child. His own. And you got to imagine that everybody's ears perked up just a minute, just a little bit, right? Not sheep, not coins. If you've never studied the teaching style of Jesus, you really need to. Whether you believe Jesus is God or not, whether you believe the Bible is true or not, you ought to read the stories of Jesus because he's an incredible teacher. He would often do this. He would often start out kind of slow. You know, it was a sheep, there was a coin. And then the last one, Now, there was a son. Think about that. A family member. Somebody you love. Somebody you've spent their whole life with. You've watched them grow up. Jesus takes more than twice as long to tell this one story as it took him to tell those two stories. Because this is where he was going all along. There was a man who had a son. The younger one said to his father, Father, Give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Similar to what we might think of as an inheritance. When the father would die, his possessions, everything he'd owned, everything he'd earned, would get divided among his two sons. Well, this one son comes to him and says, Dad, I want mine now. I don't want to wait. I'm tired of waiting on you. I'm tired of living with you, under your house, under your rules. I want mine now so I can get out of here. And the father does it. No lecture. No, what are you saying? No, get out of my house. I can't believe you're being this disrespectful to me. Nothing. He just says, okay. And the Bible says divides up his property between them. Now, my translation says property. The original language, it's the word bios. We get the word biology from that, the study of life. What's really written here is the father divided up his life, everything he ever had, his life's work, his life's worth, everything about his whole life he had to liquidate and he had to pass on to his two Sons. Now, custom was during that time, you didn't do that. You didn't distribute inheritance while the dad was still alive for some practical reasons. Number one, land was pretty important. There wasn't a stock market. Right? If, it, land was how you provided for yourself and for your family. If you had land, then you had a place to grow co- crops and a place to keep cattle and, and a way to support yourself. It just wasn't the custom to give away your inheritance early. 
Now, the problem was there was no pension. There was no 401k. There was no social, social, social security. There was no safety net. If tragedy struck and you ran into problems as an older man, you had nothing if you'd given it away. So the whole crowd would have gasped. He did what? And maybe the most alarming thing was not the land itself, was not the inheritance itself. It was the attitude of a son to say to his dad, you're worth more to me dead than alive. I wish you were already dead so I could get what's coming to me and I could leave. That was his attitude. And his dad said, okay, I will divide up my life and watch it walk out the door. Verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country. See you, Dad. I don't want to ever see you again. I'm gone. And there, squandered his wealth in wild living. That didn't take long, did it? It's one of the reasons you didn't divide up your inheritances because usually young sons aren't ready to make those sort of decisions. Usually they don't have the wisdom to manage that. And in Jesus' story, it didn't take long before it was gone. And the son ends up in a place he never planned to be. His resources are gone. Any wealth he had is gone. Anything he could depend on was gone. And to make matters worse, Jesus' story says there was a famine right after that. It's interesting how quickly we become undone when we're on the run. It's interesting how quickly circumstances change and shift. And once we've spent everything, we find a situation we never planned for. He ends up in a famine He ends up with no resources. He ends up with no one to turn to. And then there are these two sort of perspective-shifting phrases that happen in the story. Two mind-shifting phrases. One of them is found in verse 14. And he began to be in need. And for the first time, he came to the end of himself and realized, I don't have enough. Like, I don't have enough resources in myself to make this work. This is not what I planned. I didn't see this coming when I walked out the door. Isn't that the the story of a lot of people? Like, I didn't see this coming when I walked away from God, when I walked away from my family, when I decided I need another spouse, I need another life. I didn't see this day coming. That's where he was. I didn't see this coming. And he realized he had a need. And, of course... He did what all of us do. When we walk away, when we try to do it on our own, and we realize we're in need, he tried to fix it himself. He wasn't going to go back yet and admit that his dad was right. He wasn't going to go back yet and say, I was wrong, you were right. He goes and gets a job, but not just any job in Jesus' story. He gets a job feeding pigs. Remember, most of Jesus' audience at this point are Jewish. And they've been taught their whole life, there is nothing more unclean. There's nothing more disgusting than a pig. Don't eat it. 
Don't touch it. Don't be around it. And so Jesus, again, master storyteller, he puts this young son in the worst situation that he could possibly be in. Not just in the pen with pigs, but Jesus' story is he wanted to eat what the pigs were eating. This is how undone he was. This is how great the need was in his life that he couldn't fill. And then there's that next perspective-shifting phrase. It's this one. When he came to his senses, my translation says. Some of your translations say, when he came to himself. And when he woke up. When he finally faced the facts. When he stopped blaming other people. When he stopped making excuses for where he was. When he stopped pointing fingers, when he came to himself, when he woke up one day and finally realized, I'm here because of my choices. I'm here because of what I did. I'm here because I chose to run from the Father. I'm here because I chose to leave home. This is on me. When he came to himself, he came up with a plan. He decided... I'm going to go home. Like, I, I don't know what will be waiting for me at home. I don't know what the reaction will be at home. But his thought process was, the servants in my dad's house, like they're doing better than I am. So I'll go back and I will beg my dad to just let me be a servant in his house. I don't have to be a son. Like He doesn't have to, he doesn't have to claim me. I'll change my name if he wants me to. Just let me be a servant because they're better off than I am. And then he starts rehearsing what he's going to say. And when he gets this idea, he tries to come up with the perfect wording that maybe will make his dad be compassionate, will maybe make his dad be gracious. Here's the phrase he comes up with in verse 18. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And maybe as he's going back, he's just rehearsing that again and again. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it perfectly. I'm going to get word for word. And maybe my dad will have compassion. And there's a part of me that thinks nobody's buying it in Jesus' audience. There's a part of me that thinks that everybody's listening is going, that ain't going to work. Like he's already given you half of everything he's ever owned. You walked out. You squandered it. Like you blew your whole inheritance. It's not going to work. The, the group that's messed up and they know they're messed up, they think it won't work because it's never worked for them. Right? They've never met somebody who showed them compassion and grace and hope. They're going, yeah, I tried that story one time. My dad kicked me out. Yeah, I tried that story one time. My mom said I couldn't come home. I, I tried that story... And my wife wouldn't get back with me. I, I tried that story and my friends all abandoned me. Like I've tried that story before and every time I met with shame and rejection, it's not going to work. And those who are messed up because they don't admit they're messed up, they think it's not going to work because they don't want it to work. Like they think this kid deserves what's coming. He deserves to be kicked out. He deserves to be on his own because that's how they would handle this situation if they were the dad. They would tell the son where he could run off to now. That's exactly 
what they would do, but that's not what happened. That's not the turn that Jesus' story takes. Verse 20, so the son got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Like No rejection. No shame. No history. You remember you did this. You remember what you said that day? Remember how you treated me? Remember how disrespectful you were? There's no history record. The son's coming up the road, and the dad sees him from the house, and the dad sprints out to him and smothers him with hugs. I'm so glad that you're home. If you read the story, the son's trying to get out that phrase he's been practicing, I've sinned against heaven and against you. He's trying to get that out, and he can't even get to the end of it before his dad calls to the other servants in the house and says, bring him some new clothes. And not just some new clothes, bring him the best clothes that we have and put a ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet. Bring him everything that belongs to me. I want my son to have it because my son that was dead is alive. The one that was lost has come home. There's a part of me that thinks everybody, both groups in the audience, their jaw just drops open. And Jesus pauses. I think Jesus took a breath right here. And among those who recognized their story in the story of the son, among those who'd messed up and knew that they'd messed up, It wasn't long before they started to smile because that's what they'd been looking for their whole life. They'd been looking for somebody who would just put their arms around them and say, I know what you did and I love you. I know you messed up and I love you. And I'm not going to give you a history record. Like I'm not going to go back through all the ways you messed up. You already know how you messed up. I just want you to know I love you and there is hope and you're still part of the family. You're home. They never thought they'd find that. Until one day in the Middle East, this guy said, no, no, there's a father that loves people that way. you, You may not have experienced yet. There's a father that loves deeply. And nothing you do will stop his love for you. He would run to you if you would just come to yourself, if you would just recognize your need and you'd start towards him. Like He would come after you and he would put his arms around you. And the other group, they're mad because this is not how the story is supposed to end. They're ticked that somebody who had blown it so badly got so much grace and got so much love and wasn't held accountable for all the things that they had done wrong. They are ticked. So that's when Jesus continued the story and said, there's one more character. And he's a lot like you. It's the older brother. He comes in from the field. He sees what's going on. There's a big party. And he says, hey, what's, what's going on? And one of the servants says, well, your, your younger brother's come home. And, and your dad's throwing a big party for him. And he's ticked off. He's angry that his father would show this kind of grace and this kind of forgiveness and this kind of love to a son that had done everything possible to reject their father. He even goes to the dad. And he starts telling him, reminding him 
all of the ways the younger brother had messed up. He just starts listing. Well, he did this, dad, and he did this, dad, and he did this, dad. You ever notice that people who can't admit that they've messed up are really good at pointing out how other people have messed up? Like people who can't honestly own their own stuff, their own mess-ups, are really good at pointing out how badly you've messed up. This is, that's the older brother. But dad, he did this, and he did this, and you should not let him back in this house. And the story closes with the dad saying, what are you talking about? This is my son. This is not a sheep. This is not a coin. This is my son that I love. And he was dead. I didn't know if I'd ever see him again. I didn't know if I'd ever lay eyes on him again. He was dead and he's alive. He's standing right in front of me now. He was lost and he's found. And Jesus walks away. Because Jesus knows that there are people who get to a place in their life and they recognize their need. I mean, they had this plan, like it was going to work out, life was going to be great, and they were going to be a self-made person. They were going to solve all the world's problems, and they didn't need anybody's help, and they didn't need God especially. And one day they, they woke up, like they came to themselves, and they realized, all that I've done, any success I've had, any failure I've had, all of that stuff, you pile it all up, and it just, it doesn't fill my soul. Like something's not right. And when they turn to come home, they meet a creator God who runs after them and welcomes them home. And here we are, a new home. And I pray, I pray that we are a home that people can come back to, no matter how far they've walked into a distant land, no matter how many ways they got it wrong, no matter how many ways they've disappointed and embarrassed, no matter how much brokenness and baggage they come bringing back with them, that they would be able to come home here and they would be met by a group of people like their father who would run to them and say, you can find hope here. You can find grace here. You can find love here. We're not going to give you a history record. We're not going to go back over all the ways you've messed up. We're just going to point you to Jesus. We're going to tell you that the Father welcomes you home. So come home. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you need to come home. Maybe you've spent the better part of the last years deciding that you didn't need God. And you didn't need religion. You didn't need church. You didn't need Jesus. You need this whole thing. Maybe today there's some part of your heart that's saying it's not working. Like your, your heart is not satisfied. And I can tell you, the reason your heart's not satisfied is because you haven't come back to the Father. Like you, you haven't realized that your Creator, your Father, gave His life, everything He had, His only Son divided up His Son for you. Whether you thought you were close to perfect or whether you knew you weren't anywhere close to perfect. The Father gave everything through His Son, His death on the cross, His resurrection, so that 
all of that could be wiped out so that grace and hope and love could flow towards you. And all you got to do is turn and come home. All you got to do is, is turn toward him and he'll meet you and he'll welcome you home and into his family. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Well, if that's you, don't keep running away. Don't keep pushing God and Jesus. Don't keep, don't keep pushing them out of your life. The Father wants you to come home. And He waits with open arms. He waits with hope and love and forgiveness. He's given His life. He's given His Son, Jesus, for you so that you could be forgiven and whole and satisfied. I love the fact that the younger son, he couldn't even get all the words out before his dad had already embraced him. That's kind of the way God the Father is. There's not a magic word you have to say. It's not like a magic phrase. You just have to know that you need him. And you have to know that the resources you most need in your life is in Jesus. You have to believe that. Whatever words you want to put to it, God, I know I've gone far away, but I want to come home. I want to be forgiven because Jesus died and rose for me. Whatever words you want to say, however you want to phrase it, just tell God that you need him in Jesus. Believe it and receive it into your life. God, I thank you for a beautiful story. Some of us have read it hundreds of times. Maybe it was new for somebody today. Some of us have just gotten used to this story. And we forget that we left home one time. We ran away one time. We tried to live life on our own one time. But we came home to find a father who would wrap his arms around us. God, let journey be a home where people can run back to. And then let us, like the Father, run to those who are turning. Run to those who are far away from you. And if there's somebody here that needs to come home, let them do it today. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand.